Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Every once in a while, um, I'm encouraged by my musical sensibilities, and it usually has to do when I pick a quote that Nathan has already picked for a song. And I don't know if you paid attention to that, but the quote that I picked for the service at the front of the order of worship is from this song, And Can It Be? And um, as I read about the jailer that you're about to hear from, maybe for the first time, and, and that's why I didn't read the whole thing to you. I want, if, if you haven't heard this, I want you to hear it for the first time like Theophilus did. And I thought to myself, um, how good is verse 3? The man who rewrote this hymn, it's a it's hymn by Charles Wesley, but the man who rewrote it was my first boss in ministry, Scott Rowley. Um, this guy was amazing. One of the things that he would tell me is that he would have to wake up early, sometimes as early as four in the morning, just to pray. And I thought, man, how, what kind of human being can get up that early in the morning to pray? And without skipping a beat as he was driving, he said, if I don't get up at four in the morning and fight for those three hours, I can hardly believe that God could love a person like me. What I want you to hear as we see King Jesus versus the Roman Empire is that what Luke is communicating is that you and I ought to also say, and can it be that this God could set me free? Yes, it can. And it's into his presence that I invite you to come with me. Will you pray? Father, we find ourselves again in your word, and we just sang how firm a foundation for the saints of the Lord is laid for us in your excellent word. Father, we praise you that you've given us the Bible. We praise you that you have promised to use it in our lives. Father, you know where each of us is this afternoon. You know what we are struggling to put out of our minds so that we can pay attention. Um, you know how we have already disconnected in some sense and wonder how will this have anything to do with my day tomorrow. Father, for others of us, we have come to this moment more thirsty than we can remember in a long, long time. And we are looking for you to show us again that living water. Holy Spirit, you know the conditions of each of our hearts and you know how to speak to each woman and each man in this room 
uniquely. It is beyond anything that any human being could ever attempt to do. But Holy Spirit, we ask you, would you in your goodness, even in your kindness, would you show us the authority of Jesus? And would we, women and men together, repent, turn to you and rejoice from fear to freedom? Father, open our eyes. Let us, to see, let us see what is before us. Father, thank you for your pursuit of us. That you said that you are the good shepherd. Jesus, that you said that you would leave the 99 and go after the one. And that there would be rejoicing in heaven. Lord Jesus, do your work now, we pray. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. We're in Luke. Some of you guys have been in Luke for a long, long time. We are in Acts, and Acts is the second book of Luke, right? And both Luke and Acts was written by Luke, who we discover in Colossians 4 as a doctor, a Greek doctor, a non-Jew, and he is writing to Theophilus, one who is a friend of God by name, one who, um, is, who has come to faith. And Luke writes and he says, I'm writing this so that you can have confidence in what you hear. And we read this section, um, I'm reminded that we've often said that the, chat, that the title of this book ought to be The Acts of the Resurrected and Reigning Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, instead of just the acts of the apostles. We ought to make it long for what it really is. And what I want you to imagine today is what I think Luke is pointing out to us today and pointing out to Theophilus, because the language is so repetitive of what Theophilus has seen throughout both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, is that in today's passage, we see King Jesus versus nothing less than the Roman Empire. He's in Philippi. Philippi, we learned last week at the, in, in this, in this uh, 12th verse of the 16th chapter there, Philippi was a colony of Rome. In Philippi, it was the farthest, if you will, east that Rome still functioned with all of its rules as if you were in Rome. Now, Rome was still in control in places much further east, but as a Roman colony, everything that you would have found in Rome, you would have found in Philippi. Luke stayed on in Philippi, doesn't leave Philippi till chapter 20, even though Paul and Silas go on and leave. Luke remains there a long time. A lot of people believe that Luke is from Philippi, but Luke focuses our attention on the fact that Philippi is a Roman colony. And in four acts, in four acts, I want to show you what I believe Luke is saying, that here we see King Jesus, the resurrected and the reigning king versus the Roman Empire. The first act is what we just read, 16 through 18, and I'm going to call it the year of the Lord's favor. The second act is 19 through 24, the suffering servants' servants. 
25 and 26, thy kingdom come. 27 through 34, from fear to freedom. Look at this with me. King Jesus versus the Holy Roman Empire, as it were. The first thing that I want you to see is what happens. This is the stone that is pushed over the edge and begins to roll, from which everything else in this chapter follows. Again, it can be found on page 925. Verse 16 says that Paul and Silas, as was their habit, along with Timothy and Luke, were going to a place of prayer. Remember, we looked last week and said that the place of prayer was outside of town along a river. There, wasn't, there were not even enough Jews in this town for there to be a synagogue. And so the, the God-fearers would gather by the river and pray. And so Paul and Silas had made a habit of doing that as well. It said that they had been there for many days praying. And that in the midst of that, there was a young girl, a slave girl, who would follow them. And who would cry out, these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That happened over and over. And what it says here is that she kept doing this for many days. And it says here that as Paul, who had become greatly annoyed, he turned to her and he said to her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it says that it came out that very hour. If you have been reading or studying Luke Acts, what is interesting is that when Jesus came on the scene in Luke chapter 4, he read from Isaiah 60. And this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And here we see this episode in Philippi. This episode in the Roman colony, in the Roman Empire itself, King Jesus versus the Roman Empire. What do we see? In this first act, we see the apostles praying. And then we see Paul either greatly annoyed or grieved. And I say or grieved because the word's really hard to tease apart. It would be a wrong understanding of us to think that this voice just got on Paul's nerves and he finally just said, would you please shut up, come out of her, without any concern. But the word is hard to understand because it says through pain he reacted and he did this. But someone who translated the Old Testament only a hundred years later actually used this word to describe God's emotion in Genesis 6 when it says that God was grieved over the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity. And here we see after days of prayer, the Apostle Paul grieved over what he sees with this girl. And then he turns and he relieves her. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. Come out of her. And suddenly, this slave girl, a captive, who is enslaved by this spirit, is set freed from this spirit. 
you see this pattern of prayer and grief and relief. But the key here is that you see it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus also had an experience with a demon who proclaimed who he was. You're the son of the most high God. And Jesus also said, I will not be proclaimed, made known by a demon. You be still, be quiet. I will let people know who I am. And here we see as Jesus, the risen and the reigning king, enters into the Roman Empire, that in just the same way as his ministry starts in Jerusalem, his ministry goes on in the same patterns in Rome, here in Philippi, in the Roman Empire rather. And what's interesting is that this act threatened the economy of those who owned this slave girl. When they realized that they were going to lose money, they reacted. It's interesting, in a couple of chapters, we're going to see the same folks react in Ephesus because Paul is preaching in such a way that they're afraid they're going to lose money. Some commentators have wondered that by Jesus' preaching, if some of the rulers of the synagogue got angry because people were leaving the synagogue and they were losing money. But we know that whenever money and anyone's money is threatened, that it brings on our ire or their ire, don't we? We see this pattern in this first act. In the year of the Lord's favor, in the way that he said, as he said in Luke 4, I've come to set the captives free, that Paul does that in Philippi. After prayer, identifying, observing with grief and relieving this oppression in the name of Jesus. That's the first thing that we see in this act. And it starts the ball rolling. Listen to what happens. I'm going to read 19 down through 24. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had, been brought, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them, Paul and Silas, and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is Act 2. What happened as a result of Paul and Silas and the freeing of this slave girl from this spirit? What we see is that nobody was excited. And what we are reminded of is what Jesus told his disciples, that if I am persecuted, you also, as my followers, will be persecuted. I've titled this, The Suffering Servants' Servants. And it struck me how similar our passage begins to sound to Luke 21. Listen to these three verses that I'm going to read to you. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes 
and in various places famine and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And then he says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. The suffering servants' servants. Compare in verse 19 what happened to these guys. Jesus predicted and he said, toward the end of time, you're going to see all these natural disasters happen, but before then, people are going to lay their hands on you and they're going to drag you into the synagogues and before the rulers and, and they're going to persecute you and they're going to throw you into prison. Well, what happens here? Verse 19, it says that they were seized. It says that they were dragged before the magistrates. The magistrates, the, the rulers of this Roman colony. And they said, look, they're teaching us things that aren't right for us as Roman citizens to abide by. And then they were attacked and the crowd joined in. The magistrates, the rulers themselves, tore off the clothes of Paul and Cyrus. Silas, and they stripped them, they beat them, and then they threw them into prison. And not only that, but they fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, it's most likely that these stocks weren't just, you know, the, the clamps that you're thinking of that have chains tied to a wall, but that they were torturous devices with multiple holes across a board in which your feet could be fastened in any measure of one so that it was painful for your feet to be spread wide apart or to be twisted together. And those are the stocks that they were put in. And it's almost impossible if you have read who Paul was before his conversion, not to see and hear the similar language as it says in Acts 8, as Paul used to go and persecute the church and drag them before the authorities and, and throw them into prison and, and even seek their death. And it's nearly impossible to read what happened to Jesus, the suffering servant in Luke, when Jesus himself was stripped, was beaten, and was crucified. What we see here in this second act with Jesus versus the Roman Empire is that the suffering servants' servants suffer like he did. And the question that I have for you in this section is are you bent on avoiding suffering? Are you bent, are you determined with everything that you have to avoid suffering? To avoid pain, to avoid loss, to avoid persecution. What is interesting is that these disciples... Paul and Silas are similar to the disciples in Acts 5 who after being beaten actually rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer honor for the name of Jesus. And right there again, I think that in our comprehension of what it means to be a Christian and a Christian in our society, this idea of suffering for our faith 
feels alien to us. But what we see is the pattern of the gospel advancing King Jesus against the Roman Empire. This prayer that leads to observation and identification that leads to relieving oppression in the name of Jesus. And I want to say, just as wrong as it would be for us to say, look, the church's goal is just to relieve oppression, leave out the name of Jesus if that's what's going to make everybody frustrated. No, it is in the name of Jesus that we are called to live our faith out in society. That so too, if we are bent on avoiding suffering, we are missing the pattern that is laid out for us in Acts. And it takes us immediately to Acts 3. Acts 3, Act 3 rather, Act 3 in Jesus, King Jesus versus the Roman Empire. I'm just titling it, Thy Kingdom Come. And it's right here in verses 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. It's impossible for Theophilus not to think back to the words that Jesus used from Isaiah 61 that says he has come to set the prisoner's bonds free. It's impossible for Theophilus not to think back and to say that's what Luke said Jesus said in chapter 21 when he says that it, toward the end of times there'll be earthquakes. It's impossible to think as Theophilus and not think back to Acts 4 when the disciples gathered together and they prayed and the place was shaken as the Spirit of God came down and they were emboldened to live their lives. Remember the context. They're there in prison. They have open wounds. They might even still be stripped naked and they are in the stocks, this torturous device. And there, Paul and Silas are actually singing hymns to God. They're praising God. And they're praying. Again, Acts chapter 4. The only other place in Acts where the place where they're praying is shaken. And here we hear that the foundations of the prison are shaken. In Acts 4, we're told that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and that the apostles continued to speak with boldness. That is exactly what we see happening with Paul and Silas here. The prisoners are listening to them singing and praying to God, thy kingdom come, even as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. What's interesting is it says that it happened at midnight, about midnight. There was an earthquake, midnight. The only other place Luke uses that is Luke chapter 11 when he gives the parable of the man who went looking for bread during the night, right? And he went looking for bread at midnight. Some commentators even suppose that that idea of at midnight is between the day that is today and the day that is to come. That time in the middle. The same time that is described in Luke 21 
that same time of persecution, that same time of suffering for the church, in which Jesus' name would be proclaimed. And that there in Luke 11, at midnight, they are told that you go to your friend and you ask for the bread that you need for tomorrow. And then he ends that parable and he says, if your friend who's evil knows how to give you good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give you the spirit for those who ask for it? The Holy Spirit falls down. And what happens when it comes? It sets the prisoners free from their bonds. Isaiah 61, what Jesus said was going to happen when he came in, the year of the Lord's favor, King Jesus versus the Roman Empire. And in Luke 21, it says that when this happens, when you're delivered into prison, this is an opportunity for you to bear witness. And what do we see? But we see that these guys do just that. And see, right there, we kind of stop and we ask the Lord, would you help us see that persecution is not something to flee from at all costs, but rather something that when it comes is an opportunity for us to bear witness? And you go, Bradley, why in the world would I ever pray that? Why would I pray that? I want you to see how Paul and Silas got there. And I want you to see in the life of the jailer. This is the last act. And it starts in verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This last act of King Jesus versus the Roman Empire. King Jesus sets this jailer free from his fear. I would say that the title of this ought to be From Fear to Freedom, a great book by a woman named Rosemarie um, Miller that hopefully I'll have a few copies on the back table for you soon. I would love for you to read them. But what we see in this section is that the jailer who lives under fear sees the events that happened He sees that the prison doors have swung open and the bonds have fallen off the prisoners and he goes to commit suicide. 
Why does he go to commit suicide? If it's anything like what we saw with Herod and what Herod did when Peter was released from prison, isn't it interesting? Here it happens again. When Peter was released from prison and Herod went to figure out why, he just went ahead and because Peter was released and he intended to put Peter to death, he put to death the guards who were guarding Peter instead. Already happened in Acts. This guard was convinced that he too was going to be killed and it would probably have been an easier death if he had put himself to death than if the empire had put him to death. Every empire lords it over its people with fear, controls with fear. The Roman Empire was brilliant in the way that it uses fear. I've been reading this book about dominion and, and how the Roman Empire used crucifixion to incite fear into its slaves and into its lowest classes. And here what we see is this jailer being set free from fear to freedom. I've often thought about that John Newton song that is amazing grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Listen to what Peter says, but, or Paul rather. Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushing in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. It's a different fear that was going to lead him to suicide. Now it's a fear of what just happened. And he falls trembling before them. In the same way, many in the Gospel of Luke fell trembling before Jesus. And he says to them, what must I do to be saved? Are you still living in fear? Because it is fear that would keep us from ever praying, Lord if you allow persecution into my life, let it be so that I might have an opportunity to bear witness to your name. But if we're still living in fear, we'll never pray that way. Are you living in the fear of measuring up? Do you live in the fear of failure? Do you live in the fear of death? Of being found out that you're a fraud, that the life that you say that you live isn't true. We're told here that this jailer went from one type of fear that was going to lead to his own suicide to another type of fear that said, what do I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is an amazing reality. Paul and Silas, filled with the Holy Spirit, offer kindness to the jailer. Don't harm yourself, they say. In the last couple of weeks, the mantra around our house has been that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul writes about. Love, joy, peace, Patience, goodness, kindness. Kindness. 
Paul and Silas, show him kindness. Don't harm yourself. We are here. And he came trembling for, with fear to them and said, what must I do to be saved? Again, when the Holy Spirit comes, as was given to them on that midnight, similar to Acts 2, the people's response is, what should we do to be saved? In Acts 2, Peter says these promises are for you and for your children. Before Cornelius, he says that it's your whole house that is being promised this promise, that is being given this promise. We just saw that Lydia received the promise along with her whole household, and here we see the jailer doing the same. But what's amazing is that this jailer then turns and is a completely different individual. Do you see it in these very verses? The jailer who was fined verses before of taking naked, wounded, bleeding men and throwing them in the inner prison and continuing to torture them now comes to those same men, takes them out, washes their wounds, is baptized by them, invites them into his home, and feeds them. This is an amazing reality. Paul will write to the Corinthians that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he goes on to say that we, in that freedom, gaze upon Jesus, and we are transformed because Paul and Silas showed that jailer Jesus. He said, this is what Jesus is like. He sets prisoners free. Free from death. By dying our death. And free from our bondage to sin. We've been set free. That this kindness, this rejoicing that you see might mark our lives. I believe that this story is about King Jesus versus the Roman Empire. Do you know one of the battles that happened in Philippi in closing? Do you know this? I didn't know this until I studied this week and began to dig more and more into Philippi. Do you know that when Julius Caesar was assassinated, Brutus and Cassius, two of his assassins of many who stabbed him over 23 times, ran and and Mark Anthony and Octavius, Octavian found them, and the battle was where? Here, Philippi. The largest battle in all of Roman history up until that point happened here at Philippi. Mark Anthony, the cousin of Julius Caesar and Octavian, defeated the assassins of Julius Caesar. And then Octavian would turn on Mark Anthony and he would defeat him, and Octavian would become Augustus Caesar. And do you want to know what he proclaimed of himself? That he himself was the Son of God. But what we see in King Jesus versus the Roman Empire is that Jesus is the Son of God. In the midst of all of that, we discover that even an empire is made up of human hearts. And Jesus has come to set our hearts free.
and to set us free. It is for freedom that we have been set free. Please pray with me.